Ladies and gentlemen, start your stopwatches because you're listening to the dispatches on the clock and that means we're going to spend the next 15 minutes or less. Okay, so this is going to be another one of those episodes that takes a little bit longer than 15 minutes. So we're going to spend the next 18 minutes or so before we get on to today in history talking about how Jacinda Ardern's Extreme Abortion Legislation Act just got even more extreme. Right, so at the start of 2020, one of Jacinda Ardern's pet projects, the Abortion Legislation Act 2020, was passed into law. And this is an extreme piece of legislation. Don't let anybody gaslight you and tell you that it's not extreme. What it allows for is abortion on demand right up until 20 weeks. And then after 20 weeks, the legislation starts engaging in this sort of absurd pantomime where it pretends that there's some sort of meaningful restrictions in place. When if you actually look at the law, you realize there's no real restrictions there at all. So it talks about things like after 20 weeks, one medical practitioner and you think, oh, a doctor. No, don't be fooled. It's not a doctor. A medical practitioner is broader than a doctor. That's why right now you have midwives being trained and prepared in New Zealand to carry out abortion. So it's broader than just a doctor. One medical practitioner has to consult with another medical practitioner and you think, oh, there's a there's maybe some sort of approval process going on here. No, 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 that's not what that is at all. They just have to consult. There's no power in the act for the other medical practitioner, remember who's also uh, someone who doesn't have to be a doctor, to actually say, hey, no, this shouldn't be going ahead. They just have to consult with a second medical practitioner and they just have to believe that it's clinically appropriate in the circumstances. And you think, oh, clinically appropriate, that sounds serious until you realise, no, that's not at all the same thing as being clinically necessary or medically necessary. In other words, it doesn't have to be to save anybody's life at all. And it lists some criteria there that they must have regard to. Again, what does that mean? Oh, well, I've had regard to these criteria. They're not binding in any way. It talks about things like, for example, the gestational age of the fetus. And you think, oh, uh, wow, so maybe there's some sort of gestational age limit. No, there's not. You just have to have regard to the gestational age of the fetus. That's it. That's what the Act says. Uh, It talks about having regard to the overall well-being, a broad hugely subjective criteria that could encompass just about anything you want to. In other words, what we've got here is a piece of legislation where as long as you can get an abortionist to agree with it, you can have an abortion right up to, and according to the legal experts that I've spoken to who are much more well-versed in this than I am, they are very clear that you could have an abortion up to and even during birth if you could find an abortionist willing to do that in our country. That's how extreme the Abortion Legislation Act 2020 was. And here's the absurdity of all of this. The whole time this was passing through our parliament, we had politicians who were constantly, almost religiously, chanting the refrain that this was all about my body, my choice. And that's what drove and what underpinned this necessary, supposedly necessary, uh, extreme abortion legislation act 2020 being introduced into 
our country. And then literally just a couple of days after this Abortion Legislation Act is passed into law, what happens in New Zealand? We go into lockdown for the very first time, the COVID lockdowns. And you know what happened then? It turns out that in actual fact, the reason we went into lockdowns was because you can't actually do whatever you want to with your body if what you're going to do with your body is going to harm or put the life of another human being at risk. And so they acted in the complete opposite way. After spending months chanting this refrain, my body, my choice, and how uh, paramount and important this was, and so important we had to introduce this extreme abortion law, they then turned around and did the exact opposite when it came to COVID lockdowns. Now, if all of that wasn't bad enough, approximately two years later, what happens? The Abortion Legislation Act gets even more extreme again with the introduction of safe zones or safe areas. Now, this was something that was originally in the original Abortion Legislation Act 2020, but there was a bit of a parliamentary stuff up. The fact that it was even in the Abortion Legislation Act 2020 was farcical because the government commissioned an expert review of our abortion laws by the New Zealand Law Commission and they recommended against inserting uh, safe areas or safe zones uh, into our Abortion Legislation Act. What they are is they are a 300-metre bubble around an abortion facility where free speech about abortion is illegal. It's a criminal offence. You will be punished criminally by the New Zealand justice system if you engage in free speech. You don't even have to speak. If you wear a t-shirt, for example, that says abortion stops a beating heart, you don't say anything else, and you're in a safe area or a safe zone, uh, euphemistically named, of course, there's nothing safe about that zone, uh, then you can be legally punished. They are anti-free speech zones. So the, the act became even more extreme. Now, our uh, law commission recommended against safe areas or safe zones. They actually went and interviewed the abortion industry and other people. It's all in their report. You can read it there for yourself. And they were very clear that even the industry itself said there's no issue here, there's no need for this. And despite that fact, what did our government do? They went and inserted them into their Abortion Legislation Act anyway. This shows you the extreme pro-abortion mentality. They can't even tolerate legitimate public dissent on this issue. And so they were inserted into the Act. Again, remember that whole mantra just a couple of weeks after the Abortion Legislation Act was passed? We were constantly told and hectored that we must listen to the experts. Well, the experts told the government not to do this when it came to safe areas. And what did they do? They just ignored the experts and did what they wanted to do anyway. And so two years later, the Abortion Legislation Act becomes even more extreme with the reintroduction of the Safe Areas Act. The reason it was reintroduced was because there was a bit of a stuff up, a procedural stuff up when the Abortion Legislation Act was being passed and they accidentally voted that out of the bill and then they couldn't put it back in in time. And so this was reintroduced by Larissa Wall as a, a private member's bill and it was passed with little opposition in March of this year. And just when you thought the Abortion Legislation Act 2020, this pet project of Jacinda Ardern, couldn't get any worse, in August, 
it got worse because they introduced something called the Standard for Abortion Counselling in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Let me read to you from this document to explain what this is about. The purpose of abortion counselling is to provide comprehensive support and enhance a person's ability to assess and understand their situation, evaluate their options and make an informed choice or decision around abortion. It also includes post-abortion support, including grief counselling. Abortion counselling is intended to provide therapeutic support to people who are considering having or have had an abortion. People should be supported by abortion counsellors to explore their emotions, thoughts and feelings around their abortion, including healthy grieving strategies where appropriate. So just so we're clear, what this is about, as this couple of paragraphs I've just read to you now have, have stated very clearly, this is about someone who is... Uh, facing a crisis around planned pregnancy who is contemplating abortion or where abortion is one of the possible options on the table for them. And it's also about people who are experiencing the psychological or emotional trauma that can be caused after the killing of an unborn child and they're experiencing the grief, the wounding, the brokenness of that and so they are seeking post-abortion support as this document puts it. Now here's where the extreme bit happens. Have a listen to this. Abortion counselling should provide a space for people to safely express and explore their emotions regarding abortion, and abortion counsellors cannot hold any conscientious objection to abortion or abortion counselling. Let me read that again. Abortion counsellors cannot hold any conscientious objection to abortion or abortion counselling. Now before we get into the extremism of the state and this extreme abortion ideology now demanding that you can't even hold a moral objection to abortion in order to counsel someone who is either considering an abortion or who has had an abortion, think about the absurdity of a government document that says that you can't have a conscientious objection to abortion counselling if you want to do abortion counselling. That is absurd. That's like saying if you have a moral objection to eating prunes, you are not allowed to eat prunes. Well, yeah, of course, you wouldn't be eating prunes if you had a moral objection to eating prunes. You wouldn't be doing abortion counselling if you had a conscientious objection to doing abortion counselling. But let's go to the main problem, the extremism of this. And by the way, that statement about you cannot hold any conscientious objection to abortion. So in other words, you can't be pro-life. You must be pro-abortion choice. You are not allowed to have a moral problem at all with abortion in order to provide abortion counselling according to Jacinda Ardern's extreme abortion ideology. That's what this represents. And they repeat that phrase several other times through the document, just to clarify, just to confirm. So we're really, really clear about this, that you cannot. It doesn't say it's recommended or it would be a good idea if it says, let me read it, cannot hold any conscientious objection. In other words, you must be pro-abortion to do abortion counselling according to the extremism of this document. What does this mean for churches is one of the first things that I thought because I've read this document from Woe to Go and it doesn't mention 
who it talks about who's supposed to be doing abortion counselling, but what it doesn't say is who can't be doing abortion counselling. There is one very brief mention about the scope of the document on page one, and it says this, the standard for abortion counselling in Aotearoa, New Zealand, has been developed to ensure best practice in the provision of abortion counselling services. It does not cover and then there's only two things it does not cover. It does not cover training resources for abortion counselling or grief and loss counselling outside the scope of abortion counselling. Again, I would have thought that that would be blatantly obvious. So this abortion counselling document only applies to abortion counselling. That's the end of the scope. Uh, and so uh, like what's out of scope for this document. So what this seems to imply is that this has ramifications now for churches. So what happens if someone uh, comes to their pastor, their minister, a leader in a youth group, uh, perhaps someone at a home group, and they are seeking counsel around a crisis or unplanned pregnancy, or even more shocking, what would happen if they came seeking counselling and support after they'd had an abortion? And they're in a church context where a lot of post-abortion counselling is absolutely going to take place. What are they likely to encounter? They are likely to encounter other good, kind, caring people who have a moral opposition to the killing of innocent human beings in a womb. This is a fundamental doctrine of the Christian church that you don't ever deliberately kill an innocent human being regardless of their age, stage or level of development. So what does this document mean? Because this document has legal force. So what does this document mean in that context? Does this mean now, as it seems to, on its surface at least, that the state can now insert itself into the life of the church and demand that the church acquiesce to the state's religious views, its extreme religious beliefs about abortion? And why, oh why, would any state consider that a pro-abortion choice person would be a better counsellor than a pro-life person would be? In fact, I would argue that you're probably going to get a better standard of care-based counselling from a pro-life person than you are from a pro-abortion choice person. Now, hear me out and let me explain why. So, first of all, the assumption of this document seems to be that if you've got someone who's got a moral objection to abortion, that they are going to be sloppy or even nefarious and, and conduct themselves in unethical ways. They're going to lie to you or trick you or force you not to have an abortion. That seems to be the underlying assumption here. Whereas, of course, this is also loaded into the document, the assumption is that someone who is pro-abortion choice is not going to act in ways that actually don't put you on a speedy pathway towards abortion in the other direction, right? That's the first thing. That's a completely flawed assumption. Secondly, I would argue that a person who has a moral objection to abortion is probably going to give you a standard of counselling that is focused a lot more strongly on all of the options that are available to you, where it is my contention that a person who is okay morally with the aborting of unborn human beings is probably not going to put such a strong emphasis on the options part of it. Instead, they are probably going to be more focused on giving you a sense of perhaps therapeutic relief about the decision that they think is best for you. If they think abortion is a good idea for you, they're probably going to try and help you or 
convince you to to believe that it's going to be okay for you. I think you're less likely to see that with a pro-life person. They're more likely to actually put all the options on the table because their desire would be for you to actually choose one of those options rather than deliberately end the life of an unborn human being. And so I think in the end, what you may well have is a lot more cases as a result of this kind of madness where women come into the situation of uh, an unplanned or crisis pregnancy and then they find themselves on a speedy, unthinking pathway towards abortion because there's no one there who's saying, hey, maybe there are other options. What we hear consistently from people who experience abortion grief and from people who have post or sorry pre-abortion counselling where they choose to keep their child is they are really grateful when they encounter pro-life counsellors who actually put all the options on the table for them. They're really grateful for that. And in the post-abortion setting, you hear women talking about the fact that they wish someone had actually shown them other options and had actually told them that it's going to be okay if you have your child, you don't need to have this abortion. And so I would argue that a pro-life counsellor is going to be better and they're more likely to do that. I think there's going to be greater risk of that not happening with someone who is pro-abortion choice. This is the end result, though, of Jacinda Ardern's pet abortion project, the abortion Stasi, if you like. Why is the New Zealand state even involved at this level? Now, it's different if you've got someone who sets up what is claiming to be a professional counselling service and they're charging people. And so I think there are, rightly, at that point, there would be obligations on that person. But why is the state involved at this level? It clearly seems that this act would cover any sort of caring pastoral engagement that might happen in a church, why would the state be involved? Why would they even be involved at the level of post-abortion counsellors? Now, I can understand it's faulty, the reasoning is bad, but I can understand someone saying, well, I think that maybe a pro-life person is going to be biased. It's bad reasoning because the assumption is that a pro-abortion choice person is not going to be equally biased in the other direction, and that's the flaw in the thinking there. But I can understand why someone might think that way. But then to say, well, post-abortion counsellors might be biased? Well, so what if they are? The whole point of post-abortion counselling is to help people experience relief and redemption and a sense of, of, of healing from the brokenness that abortion has done to them in their lives. What does it matter what they think about the morality of abortion? It has no bearing at all. In fact, I would argue that if they see abortion as being a moral problem, they are probably going to be more thorough in the pastoral care that they give to someone who's suffering from abortion grief. I know quite a few people in New Zealand who are involved in post-abortion counselling and care, and they are some of the most amazing people I know, so loving, so caring, and guess what? All of them have a moral objection to the act of abortion. What does this mean for them? This is madness. What this is, it's about enforcing ideological hegemony. It's about ideology. It's about power. It's about control. It's about trying to make people conform not just to a supposed pro-choice position, but a pro-abortion one. It's trying to elevate and enshrine abortion as something that is so sacrosanct and sacred that it must be protected, especially from the heretics who refuse to believe as we believe about the great and glorious thing that we call abortion. It's absolutely shocking, and it's one of the awful legacies that will be left behind after the demise of the Jacinda Ardern Labour government. 
Right, let's finish today's episode with a, a little bit of historical enrichment. Today in history, October the 20th, 1935, 364 days ago, military pressure by the Nationalist Army of Chiang Kai-shek forced the evacuation of Yangshi province where the communists under Mao Zedong had established their Chinese Soviet Republic. An estimated 90,000 people began the migration to the relative safety of Shenzhen province on the Yellow River. Today, the survivors of that long and arduous march through difficult mountain terrain reached their destination. More than half the march has perished during the 6,000 mile, that's about 9,600 kilometre journey. The first task for communist leader Mao Zedong will be to organise a strong defensive position. Shenzhen has the potential to provide a more secure power base for the communists, but only if its defences can thwart future nationalist attacks. And that event was known as the Long March. And that's why, by the way, sometimes you hear people today referring to the Long March through the institutions of the cultural Marxists. It was a phrase, actually, the Long March through the institutions that was invented by Rudi Ducek, who was a German Marxist student activist and sociologist in the 1960s. And he was referencing this event that happened today in history, October the 20th, 1935, where the communists in China were almost absolutely defeated. They were facing an absolute rout. And the Long March was this insane suicidal journey. It was the only option open to them if they were ever going to hope to secure any sort of victory. And they did it. And, well, the rest is history. And now today you hear people regularly talking about the Long March through the institutions, which is where the cultural Marxists began their journey through our academic institutions and other institutions of society to ensure their hegemony and control seems rather appropriate that we're talking about that and that this is the event that we focus on on this day in history, October the 20th, 1935, when you consider the topic of today's conversation, which was all about the abortion extremism of the progressive Jacinda Ardern Labour government. Thanks for tuning in. Don't forget, live by goodness, truth and beauty, not by lies. And I will see you next time on The Dispatches. On the Clock is brought to you by Left Foot Media. Support our important independent media work at patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia with just $5 or more per month and you'll receive exclusive access to our full-length patrons-only episode of the Dispatches podcast every single week. That's patreon.com forward slash leftfootmedia. Link is in the show notes.